0: Hello everybody, Uh, this sermon is based on Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 and is entitled Made Alive in Jesus. I wonder how many of us here today regularly use a satellite navigation system in our car. These replacements for paper maps are often really helpful. This is particularly the case when we're driving through a city that we don't know very well. A sat-nav helps us to get into the right lane at major junctions and to keep our eyes on the road when searching for the right turning. Sadly, however, things can go wrong. You sometimes see the stories on the news. Elderly motorist finds herself bogged down in a farmer's field. Youth who has just passed their first test find themselves heading towards a cliff edge. HGV driver wedges his lorry under a railway bridge, Causing train cancellations. And all of these happened because they were committed to following the SatNav even when their common sense was ringing a few alarm bells. I wonder if you've ever been a passenger in a car when this has happened. You've been travelling along and the landmarks you had been expecting to see have not appeared. You travel a little further and you realise you no longer recognise at all where you are. You question the driver. But they're full of confidence. They're following the Satnav. The journey continues. You're getting more and more uncomfortable. You are sure you're going the wrong way. You question the driver again. No no no, they say. The Satnav is directing us. It's never been wrong before. This is the latest version, don't you know? The best technology. It must be taking us on a shortcut. Eventually the Satnav gives those long four words You have reached your destination only you haven't. You are nowhere near where you hope to be. Maybe the driver typed in the postcode wrong. Maybe there are two places with the same name and the SatNav's taking you to the wrong one. We get the point. When being led by a SatNav, we will keep going with it and defend its directions until we're blue in the face. Even when all of our senses are telling us we're on the wrong road, we won't turn back or stop to take advice. We're so confident, we plough on until we reach the wrong destination. Now with that illustration in mind, listen to how Paul describes the human condition. The first thing Paul says in these verses is that all human beings are headed for the wrong destination. In fact, we're headed for the worst destination, death. He begins in verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. All human beings are heading for death. It is the only thing that is certain in our lives. We may spend our lives trying to hide from that truth, filling our mind with distractions, but the reality remains. Death is the destiny of us all. And the finality of death is so all-consuming, it haunts us throughout our lives. It's as if our ending invades and permeates the present. Look at the fear being expressed on the news this week as governments announce a reduction in lockdown restrictions. People are afraid it's all too quick. But what underlies this reaction is the fear of death. I see it here on Isla often as I take funerals for families with very little faith. They hold it together through all the preparation. They sit calm and composed in church. But when they get to the graveside they are hit by the stark truth. Death is final. They will not see their loved one in this age again and one day people will be gathered at their own funeral. Fear and grief takes over and they break down in tears. Paul says that the destination for all human beings is death and he attributes this to our transgressions and sin. You see, the God we worship is so holy, so spotlessly perfect, he cannot reside in the presence of sin without that sin being checked. Sin forms a barrier, a wedge that separates us from the full presence of God. And as God is the creator and source of all life, that separation inevitably leads to death. Death is the destination of humankind, and it's so terrible, it affects us as we live. I think we often see a form of death seeping into the present in the poor mental health that many of us struggle with. At times we feel life is meaningless and not worth living. At times we long to run away and we seek to find the escape in drink and drugs. And right now the number one killer of young men in this country is suicide death is the destination for human beings and it's so serious its tentacles reach us as we live each day on our approach towards it so if death is the wrong destination why do so many of us keep on charging straight for it without ever stopping to reconsider Well, as in the opening illustration, the answer to that is because we are blindly following the wrong guides. We are navigating our lives by the wrong influences. And the tragic thing is we have become so conditioned to these guides, we never question them. In fact, at times we even champion them to others. In these verses, Paul describes the three moral satnavs that human beings follow. They are in order. The ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the cravings of the flesh. Let me briefly explain. In verse 2, Paul speaks of human beings following the ways of this world. What he means by that is the values of present day society. We all live in a society that deliberately leaves God out. We live in a society that at times is openly hostile to God. It works against his plans and purposes. And we often just follow along with the values of this world that we live in because that's what everyone else is doing and we do not always realise they are wrong. Let me give you some examples. Our society tells us that we should all be amassing money rather than giving it away. Our society tells us that we should be seeking attention, power and status rather than serving those around us. Our society tells us that individuals are more important than community. Our society tells us we always need something more rather than being content and trusting God to provide. Our society tells us that violence is okay. It's in all the big films and computer games. Our society tells us we should be free to have sex with whoever we like, and marriage is less important than a big house. Our society tells us that tolerance is more important than naming sin for what it is. Now we don't always realise that this is what society is saying. Sometimes the messages are very clever, they are sly and subtle. Society conditions us in the same way the algorithms on our internet search engines are constantly pointing us in particular directions. We are formed by the ways of this world, often without even realising it. Also, in verse 2, Paul states that we are led by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Here Paul is talking about evil. When God created the world, he saw it was very good. To this day, creation still has the power to take our breath away. There are moments where we glimpse the majesty and beauty of God, and this will never change. But at the same time, our world is saturated in evil. It's as if evil sets the atmosphere, it's the air that we live and breathe. Anyone who tries to say that evil is not real, obviously, has not looked at the news. Every day there is war and violence. Every day there is a new story about murder or child abuse. People smugglers, drug peddlers, dictators crushing free speech. Evil is alive and well. Paul in verse 2 describes evil as a spirit that is at work in the world and impacts our lives. It guides us away from God and into disobedience. Evil's deadly ideas deface God's creation and damage us as God's image-bearing creatures. And here's the scariest thing. Evil is so powerful and so prevalent, human beings align themselves more with this ruler than they do with the Lord. Even if we do not think we actively do evil things, we often turn a blind eye and let evil go on without taking steps to stop it. Finally, in verse 3, Paul says we are all being guided by the cravings of the flesh. We will do almost anything to fulfill its desires and longings. It's a popular argument in our world today that the yearnings people find themselves holding must have been given them by God, so they must be followed through with. This is often the case in issues of sexual morality. This is how God made me, He must want me to live like this. I'm so happy with this other partner, God must be telling me to leave my spouse. As human beings, we have to recognize that some of our natural desires are deeply flawed. At times, all of us are tempted to lust, tempted to aggression, tempted to dishonesty and selfishness. And every time we act out those desires, we may get a little immediate satisfaction, but long term, we unleash pain and destruction. The Bible is utterly blunt about this. As human beings, we are addicted to sin. It's like a drug. It has hold over us. At times, we find it impossible to ignore. If we come back to our opening illustration, Paul's initial verses of chapter 2 can be described like this. When human beings are left to themselves, more often than not, we will choose the wrong direction. We do this even when we are warned by others. We will argue that we're going the right way, even when we're going the wrong way. We will remain confident in our actions and decisions because we can see so many other people on the same road as us. The simple truth is we will all keep ploughing on until we reach our final destination. The wrong destination. Death. It's fair to say that Paul's writing in these verses is bleak, but it's also very real. If we're honest, we can all recognise the truth of what he says, but he pulls no punches. His final assessment on the human condition in verse 3 is that we all deserve God's wrath. That's not to say that God hates us, far from it. But God cannot bear to see what our sin is doing to his world, to our lives, and to the lives of those people around us. God loves his world so much, sin angers him. In his wrath, God has resolved one day to remove sin from this world for good. And if on that day we remain bound to sin, carriers of it, we will be condemned along with it. This is strong stuff indeed. Paul has plumbed the depths of pessimism in order to describe the true nature of the human condition. However, hold on. This pessimism is not the end of the story. It's only the introduction. It's only paving the ground to show the true glory of what is to come. Verse 4 of our reading begins with an important word. A very important word. The word is but. Listen to this in full. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the cravings of our flesh. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. When we could do nothing to save ourselves, when we were heading for death, Enslaved by bad guides, condemned for our sinful behavior, God stepped in and did something amazing. Through the actions of Jesus, everything has changed. Sometimes, when we're out driving following a Satnav and we take a wrong turn, the Satnav calls out redirecting route or calibrating new journey. The technology is trying to get us back on track and to get us to the right destination. Jesus came to take us off the wrong road, to turn us around and get us going in the right direction once more. Because of Jesus, we now have a new destination. We're no longer heading for death, but heading for life. Paul says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. As Christians, we no longer live just to die. We die to truly live. Death is not the end to be feared. It is the beginning to look forward to. The message of the gospel is that we have been made alive in Jesus. At the cross Jesus died the death that we were destined for but three days later he came out on the other side paving the way for us all. Our destination is now eternal life and just like with the fear of death that wonderful hope comes rushing to meet us in the present. Eternal life does not begin the day we die it begins the day we put our faith in Jesus The life of Christ provides meaning and vigour to everything we do. It makes every waking moment worthwhile. We no longer have to live wanting to escape life. We can joyfully live every day to the full. The second thing Paul says is also wonderful. We've been set free from the bad guides and have been given a new one to follow. Jesus is risen and ascended. He now sits on the throne of glory and from there he rules over the lives of the faithful. We're no longer guided by the ways of the world but the ways of heaven. We're no longer in evil's grasp because evil was defeated at the cross. The devil and hell were vanquished. Jesus is now our master and we have the power to withstand the lusts of the flesh because the Holy Spirit is at work within us, and he is more powerful by far. Paul really could not be more excited in his writing. His final comment in verse 7 is that the Christian life is no longer lived under condemnation, but under God's great blessing. As our sin has been taken away by the act of Jesus on the cross, we now experience God's great kindness. Listen again. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a turnaround. From the depths of despair at the human condition, trapped as we all were by bad guides and heading for death, Paul now rejoices at what is true in Jesus. We are well and truly alive, ruled by a good master and promised his kindness forevermore. What a comparison, what a transformation. This is the power of Jesus, this is the good news of the gospel. Paul now turns to finish this great passage by describing how this change of direction happens. How does God pick us up from our journey towards death, turn us round, and set us on a new road? Well, Paul is very clear. He wants to place all the credit on the grace of God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It is by grace that we have been saved from death. The human condition was so bad, there was literally nothing we could do to save ourselves. From the moment we first sinned against God, we were dead. We were addicted to bad guides, allowing them to lead us to destruction. But even while we were in such a mess, even while we were deserving of condemnation, God still loved us. His heart went out to his suffering people and he made a way for rescue. And Jesus, he reached down to us and drew us into life. At the cross, an empty tomb, God's mercy, free and undeserved, flooded the scene. I don't know if you know this, but grace is a uniquely Christian concept. Other religions believe in a merciful God who is sometimes prepared to withhold his anger against wrongdoing. But grace goes much deeper than that. It means that God not only holds back the punishment we deserve, but he also pours out his love and kindness on us that we do not deserve. And Paul states how we can receive this free gift of grace. He says we receive it through faith. We so often misunderstand what faith is. Faith is not purely academic or the mental assent to a set of doctrines. Faith requires practical action but neither is faith merely a set of good actions on its own for we could never do enough to earn God's favour. Faith is a choice, a belief, a choosing to give our love and all to the Lord. Faith then is the sealing of ourselves onto Jesus. Faith is full reliance on God and making a commitment to him. I know that the vast majority of us listening to this have chosen to take up faith in Jesus. But just in case there's anybody who is unsure, let me finish by saying this. When you have taken up faith in the grace of God, outsiders will see a difference in your life. A change will come over us. There'll be evidence for people to see. For when you have faith in Jesus and you allow yourself to be guided only by him your values, words and behaviours become more like those of God. Paul writes in the final verse of this section, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we take up faith in Jesus when we're granted a whole new life, when we're made fit to reign with Christ, one day we will find ourselves in the new heaven and the new earth and we'll be looking after God's good creation as he always intended us to do. And as we wait for that day, we will begin doing some of those heavenly works here in the present. If you have truly placed your faith in Jesus, the people around you will see it. Rather than doing the works of the world or the works of evil and the flesh, you will do the good works of God helping others, healing creation, making peace, sharing the gospel. The great Bible teacher John Stott summed it up like this, Good works are indispensable to salvation, not as its grounds or means, but as its consequence of evidence. I pray that all of us listening to this may know what it is to be transferred from the road to death to the road to life. I pray we will know what it is to be set free from the bad guides of this world and to be placed under the reign of Christ. I pray we will no longer feel condemned, but rejoice in the kindness of our Lord. That transformation happens through grace, the grace of God. Let us take up faith in it and show that faith in our actions.